Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me as we continue our journey into Capote's Coterie, the women and sometimes men attached into the life of Truman Capote. And this week we are continuing with another of Truman Capote's High Society Six, his swans. Of all the swans, Morella Agnelli has the least written about her. Her husband, like many of the other swans' husbands, has been documented, interviewed, praised, and critiqued much more than his wife. Living until 2019, Morella Agnelli outlived all of the swans, dying just days after Lee Radzowell's death and outliving all the others by decades. Morella's story is truly fascinating, but before we begin this episode, I do have a spyglass here with some tremendous thanks and praise for our most recent supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done. Your support is incredible, and I am so grateful to welcome into the Done and Done community, holy catch, y'all, Lauren F., Jenny N., Anna O., Cindy B., Laura D., and Allie P., y'all are simply the best. Thank you, thank you so much for showing a little love to Done and Done through your financial support. I hope you're liking all the bonus goodies on the side. This past week, there was a glorious investigation into Cornelia Guest, the daughter of CZ Guest, our last week's profile. You can get that along with weekly Not Done Yet bonus episodes. They're all yours along with ad-free and early main feed episodes for, what, five bucks a month. What a deal. This week with Not Done Yet, we are going to pick up the thread of William Vincent Astor and his women, his mother, Ava Astor, his stepmother, Madeline Talmadge, and his wife, his third wife, that Minnie Cushing, his second wife, helpfully finds for Vincent after their divorce. You know her as socialite Brooke Astor. Lots of spiderwebs in that one that's coming for you this week up on Patreon. Today, though, in this episode, our focus is Morella Agnelli. Again, the least written about her of all the swans, but wowza, what a story. Beautiful and elegant, with an impossibly long neck, Morella Agnelli was born into an aristocratic family and married one of the wealthiest men in the world. Born Donna Morella Caracciolo de Principe de Castagneto on May the 4th, 1927, in Florence to an Italian noble family, she was raised in a conservative and sheltered world. Her entire 91-year life cannot be described as anything but glamorous and lavish. Truman Capote once told Catherine Graham that if, quote, Babe Paley and Morella Agnelli were both in Tiffany's window, Morella would be more expensive, unquote. Let's investigate. Morella 
Morella was born May 4, 1927, with quite a pedigree. Morella's father, Filippo Caracciolo de Lomito, was a member of Italian nobility. He was the eighth Prince de Castagneto and the third Duke de Maletto. They were a semi-impoverished aristocratic family with crumbling villas like many other families of their class. Morella's mother, though, something quite different. Her name was Margaret Clark, and Margaret Clark was a wealthy American heiress from Peoria, Illinois. Margaret's family had made their money in whiskey. Sadly for Margaret, though, her father had died when she was a child. At the age of 21, Margaret, her mother, and her sister moved to Europe after World War I. The trio started out in London and then moved to Paris, finally ending up in Florence, where Margaret met and married Filippo. Margaret was beautiful, intelligent, and had impeccable taste. Filippo loved poetry and writing and was very handsome and also seven years Margaret's junior. Although Filippo came from an old Neapolitan aristocratic family, the financial crash in 1929 hurt their fortune as well as Margaret's family fortune. So, after publishing some novels and poetry collections, Filippo became the first member of his family to have a real job. Filippo took a post in the diplomatic service, and the family moved to Ankara, Turkey, where they lived for most of the 1930s. When World War II began, Filippo was appointed Italian general consul in Switzerland. Speaking perfect English, Filippo became a liaison agent between an anti-fascist movement supported by the Allies and the British Secret Service. The family home, which was close to the Italian border, became a common meeting place for members of the Italian resistance movement and the OSS. This is the Office of Strategic Services. When Morella's brother Carlo turned 18, he joined the resistance movement and would be gone for months at a time on missions. He was eventually arrested by the fascists and barely managed to escape execution. During the family's time in Switzerland, Morella met Virginia Agnelli, Gianni's mother. Some of her children were staying with friends in Switzerland, and she would go to visit them. Gianni's father, Eduardo, had died in a plane crash in 1935. Prior to Eduardo's death, Eduardo and Virginia had lived a high-profile, glamorous life that Morella had heard much about as Eduardo and Virginia were fixtures in the gossip columns. So, Morella meets Virginia, Gianni's mother, in 1943 and is fascinated by her beauty, her elegance, and her chic appearance and lifestyle. Sadly, Virginia would die in a car crash two years after their meeting. They were part of the Jet Set group, and it was widely accepted that they kept lovers. Morella explained, I wouldn't say we belonged to an immoral world, just a freely amoral one. 
This was a departure from the conservative traditional world in which Morella had been raised. Naturally intrigued by the Agnelli family, Morella began listening to many stories about them, especially stories about their oldest son, Gianni. Even before meeting Gianni, Morella remembers feeling, quote-unquote, butterflies fluttering for him after hearing stories about his bravery during the war years. Everything Morella heard about Gianni was about how handsome and brave and irreverent he was. He's so dreamy. Now, Morella is friends with Gianni's younger sister, Maria Soleil, and when Morella was 17 or so, Maria Soleil gave her a special present. They were beautiful designer shoes that had belonged to her mother, Virginia. These shoes had been handmade by the famous Turin shoemaker, Cavallera. And Morella loved these shoes, which she remembers were red satin with a tiny embroidered bow and black heels. Morella had spent the war years wearing mountain boots or shoes with cork heels. So these red satin shoes with the tiny bow and black heel, holy cats, they were so precious to her. Morella will attribute her love of expensive shoes later in life to that first pair, her starter pair, gifted by Gianni's sister, courtesy of Virginia, Gianni's mother. After the war, Morella's family briefly returns to Florence. Morella was Miss Florence in 1947, against her will completely. A friend enters her into the Miss Florence contest from the audience. Morella is mortified and is very afraid that her parents are going to be upset because Miss Florence 1947 is not something a respectable girl would do. It is no big surprise, Morella called it right. Her parents were upset when she returned home and tried to stop the news of her win from being published, but that endeavor failed. A year later, Morella's family moves to Rome. And to be fair, there were not many things a young, unmarried girl could do in the conservative Italy of that time. Understanding that marriage would be her only option, and knowing that she was not interested in getting married yet, Morella's parents did agree to let her leave home to pursue her interests. In 1949, Morella moved to Paris to study drawing and theater design. I think this is one commonality that you will find among Truman Capote's High Society Six, as well as some of his swans. They are not dictated by the societal conventions of their time. CZ Guest is in Ziegfeld Follies. Slim Keith goes to the Alpine Inn to meet William Powell. It's just incredible. None of the swans are held under any kind of notion of what society says they should do, at least in their early life. Morella's parents were unexpectedly modern in their view of marriage. This is not the way that it goes for most girls. Most Italian parents wanted desperately 
to marry their daughters off, but Morella's parents didn't pressure her at all to get married until she was ready. Morella suspects that it is her mother's American upbringing, which helps mom and dad be a little bit more enlightened than the parents of Morella's Italian girlfriends. After Morella finishes her art education at the age of 23, mom and dad, once again, pretty liberal here. Her parents agree to let Morella move to New York City. Can you imagine? The only condition that mom and dad put on Morella was that she must find a job and earn money. This is now the early 1950s, and Morella is in the center of the combining worlds of art, fashion, literature, film, New York City in the early 1950s, y'all. Morella was offered a modeling job straight away by the photographer Erwin Blumenfeld. And even though Morella finds posing for modeling shoots to be really, really boring, she'll take the job. Now, here's the thing, though. It doesn't take Blumenfeld very long to realize that Morella is a lot more than a pretty face. She is very interested in the technical aspects of photography. Blumenfeld, seeing that Morella had the knowledge and the potential, he offered to make Morella his photography assistant. While there were many talented and famous photographers in New York during that time, Friends, I want to let you know, Erwin Blumenfeld was arguably the one most into experimenting with and pushing the art of photography. Blumenfeld is very different from other artists at the time. With his distinctive collage, surreal artistic edge in his photos, he's nothing like, say, Richard Avedon. Blumenfeld soon becomes one of New York's most famous and sought-after fashion photographers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Morella, assistant to a famous in-demand photographer living in New York City, early 1950s. Let's go ahead and get Morella to Gianni. Gianni Agnelli. Holy cats. When we talk about enormous wealth, I want you to really put this in perspective. Gianni Agnelli, as the head of Fiat Automotive, controls 4.4% of Italy's gross domestic product. That's Gianni Agnelli and his wealth. Almost 5% of his entire country's GDP. Morella had met Gianni Agnelli through his sisters that she knew shortly after the end of World War II. Morella and Gianni had an on-and-off relationship for many, many years before they became engaged in the summer of 1953. 
What's Gianni's background? Gianni's paternal grandfather, for whom he is named, was the founder of the Italian car company Fiat. Gianni's mother, Princess Virginia Bourbon Del Monte, was from a noble Perugian family. Gianni, on his own, had earned a law degree and joined a tank regiment when Italy joined World War II. He was shot twice during the war, although one of those gunshot incidents claims rumored at least to have happened one night in a bar fight over a woman. It is no secret that Gianni Agnelli is charming, handsome, and adventurous. Now, he had been a famous playboy, y'all, having affairs with many, many, many beautiful and well-known women of the time. Some of the actresses Gianni Agnelli maybe had affairs with were Anita Ekberg, Rita Hayworth, Linda Christian, and Danielle Deryu. Gianni does also have a five-year relationship with Pamela Churchill. We are going to come back around to Pamela Churchill. She intersects in most of these stories. Pamela Churchill describes those years with Gianni Agnelli, those five years, as the happiest time of her life. There are some other accounts that do rumor that Gianni Agnelli also had an affair with Jacqueline Kennedy. The Agnelli family was large and very clan-like. There are seven siblings who all look alike and act alike and who are all remarkably close. The Agnellis, in addition to their seven kids, are always surrounded by a huge number of cousins. Gianni is the oldest of all of his siblings, all of the cousins. So when both of his parents die relatively young, Gianni becomes the head of the family. This happens for him at the age of 24. To give you a comparison point here, Gianni's youngest sibling, Umberto, was only 11 years old at this time. And although it was daunting for Morella to join such a large and boisterous family, they were all very supportive and welcoming to her. The entire Agnelli family and their longtime staff were very relieved that the 32-year-old playboy Gianni was finally settling down. The Agnellis are pretty happy. However, on the uh, other side of the courtship fence, Morella's parents were not as happy. While her father was more willing to give Gianni the benefit of the doubt, Morella's mother was very, very skeptical of the Agnelli family's reputation and glamour. Tis no matter, Gianni and Morella do get married November 19, 1953. At the time of the wedding, Morella's father was the Secretary General of the Council of Europe based in Strasbourg. For this reason, the wedding took place in the chapel of Ostafen Castle, just outside Strasbourg. Morella wore a Balenciaga gown. Gianni had been injured in a car accident the year before, and at the time of their wedding was still using crutches to assist in his walking. Vogue magazine sent a photographer to cover their wedding. 
After returning from New York, Morella accepted a job from Condé Nast as an Italian correspondent. However, once she got married, Morella did not feel she had the time to continue that job and ceases her working girl career, at least in corporate America, here. It was on a shopping trip to Paris shortly after her wedding that Morella realized exactly how different her life as an Agnelli would actually be. The best way to travel to Paris was on the night train from Turin. When she arrived at the station, Morella was really surprised to find that her train car had towels with her initials on them in the bathroom, along with her favorite soap and lotions and creams. The sheets had been replaced with other sheets from her home with she and Gianni's initials on them. Morella learns that Pasquale, their butler, had arranged all of this. The sheets, the towels, the cosmetics, the customization. And honestly, this is just how the Agnelli family travels when they take a night train. In the time right after their wedding, Morella found herself with a great deal of free time. She was no longer working, and with staff to do everything for her, Morella recalls just laying on the sofa, reading and relaxing. Her husband, though, did not think this is what Morella should be doing. Without explicitly expressing it to her, Gianni had expected that his new wife would take over the domestic management of the household of the family. Gianni recruits Contessa Volpi, who was known for her elaborate hosting and impeccable management of many grand estates to assist. The Contessa called Morella and said, You must come see me. I hear that you don't know how to run a home. Remember, my dear girl, all one needs to catch a husband may be a bed, but it takes a whole house to keep one. The Contessa takes Morella under her wing in all affairs domestic, including how to best place guests at a dinner party and where staff uniforms should be made. Morella, to her credit, was a quick study. The Agnellis had two children in quick succession after their marriage. A son, Eduardo, was born in 1954 and a daughter, Margarita, in 1955. The Agnellis were in New York in the summer of 1954 when Eduardo was born. They were in Switzerland in October of the next year when their Margarita was born. And truly, throughout the 1950s, the Agnellis socialized with a rather small but international glamorous group of people. This jet set travels between Italy, New York, San Moritz, and the French Riviera. Among their very sophisticated and worldly social set, fashion and beauty were immensely important. Never really having truly considered herself to be a great natural beauty, Morella turns to her favorite designer, Balenciaga, to be her shield quote-unquote, that's what she calls it, looking for Balenciaga to help Morella cultivate the image she wants to present. 
it's not just fashion, friends. Of the many things that the Agnellis enjoyed shopping for, art was at the top of their list. By the early 1960s, the couple had acquired so many impressive pieces of contemporary art that they had no place to put them. They were at a loss, no place to put all this amazing art. So, as the incredibly rich people of the world do, the Agnellis begin creating and building houses designed specifically around their art collection. That is some incredible kind of money. It was also during the 1960s, when their children were still young, that Gianni enjoyed thrilling them with last-minute trips to exotic locations like the French Riviera. Morello remembers them leaving their home in Turin and 40 minutes later watching Gianni and the kids jumping into the waves straight from their still-flying helicopter. The Agnellis traveled constantly, often related to Gianni's fiat work. They were often in New York, which Morella really enjoyed because she had many friends there. Morella feels at home in New York City. Back from that time, she spent working with Erwin Blumenfeld. It is the time spent within New York with the social elite that does result in the most media interest and coverage of the Agnellis. During this time in New York, Morella naturally is getting recognized for her fashion sense. She will make the best dressed list through 1963, where Morella makes it to the International Best Dressed List Hall of Fame. In 1992, Morella is also presented with the Enduring Images of Elegance honor. Out of all their magnificent homes and trips, Morella's favorite was their 80-foot yacht, the Agnetta. The Agnellis enjoy many holidays and vacations in the 1960s, cruising the Mediterranean with their friends and family. One couple that shared their passion for yachts and with whom they spent a great deal of time in the early 1960s were John and Jacqueline Kennedy. It was in 1962, on a vacation to Ravello in the Amalfi Coast, which Gore Vidal suggested. Let me go ahead and connect just a few things here. Gore Vidal and Jacqueline Bouvier-Kennedy, not related by blood. However, they are step-siblings. Jackie's stepfather, Hugh Auchincloss, was previously married to Nina. Nina is Gore's mother. Janet is Jackie's mother. Again, not related by blood, but they are step-siblings through marriage. Gore Vidal suggests this trip for his stepsister. It is on this trip. Again, 1962. When the American press notices how much time Jacqueline Kennedy is spending with Gianni Agnelli. This was not the only time that a romantic relationship was rumored between Jackie and Gianni. Unhappy with all of this press coverage, John Fitzgerald Kennedy sends his wife an angry telegram that reads, quote, more Caroline, less Agnelli, unquote. Another very famous visitor to their yacht was Truman Capote. 
Morella and Truman had met while in New York, and both Morella and Gianni enjoyed Truman's company. Throughout the 1960s, Morella considered Truman to be one of her best friends. While we're here on the boat yachting, let's go ahead and bring in some quotes about Truman on these yachting adventures. I think this really does set a stage. Taking these excerpts from George Plimpton's Truman Capote, the first is Morella on Yelly talking about Truman yachting. <laughs> Morella says, He adored yachting. Truman was lazy. He didn't participate much in the life on the boat because he read. He stayed in his cabin. He couldn't stay too much in the sun. We went sightseeing madly. I remember saying once, Truman, you must come with us at least once. And he said, oh, forget it. One old stone is like another old stone. He was not interested in sightseeing whatsoever. He would swim in the sea. Everything with great calm, but no rushing around. Didn't like the crisscrafts and speedboats at all. And you would think that's Morella's opinion from Truman being on her boat, but this is very much confirmed by a few other friends and yachting companions of the Agnellis. Next up, we've got Lowell Guinness. Remember, Lowell Guinness was married to Gloria Guinness. Lowell Guinness says about Truman, He came yachting with us in the Serafina with people like Roz and Freddie Brisson, Bill and Babe, Carter Burden. I took them to the Dalmatian coast. Truman was not a great sightseer. Nor am I. Frankly, if you see a Greek theater and you see another Greek theater, unless you have an eye like a hawk, you don't know the difference between one and another. It's like a cathedral. It can be better decorated than another, but if I must say, I'm not all that mad about going to look at them. This next excerpt really is just something to me that one could have the ability to travel around the world on a private yacht with every need you have taken care of for you and not take advantage of what you may be able to see or experience in the world because of that advantage. This next excerpt is from Eleanor Perigny talking about Truman. I just find this absolutely fascinating. She says, he was exactly like Warhol and that he knew nothing, absolutely nothing. He had no form of culture. He didn't know anything about European literature. The idea that he was going to be Proust, I mean, this is again part of the pitifulness of his claim. He never looked at a piece of architecture. He never looked at a painting. He never went to an art gallery. Mother dragged him to the Vatican in Rome. He was so bored, he was hysterical. When the Agnellis, or whoever it was, took him to the Greek islands, I don't want to see those old ruins. Nothing of that sort interested him. Europe to him was restaurants and couture, and of course, grand parties. Warhol was exactly the same. Never been inside of the Louvre, I don't think he'd ever seen a painting done by anyone earlier than his own contemporaries. He went to city after city, 
with these fantastic art collections. He never looked at them. Truman was the same. I think that's a reason that his writing collapsed. He really had nothing to build on in the end. He was just an empty, silly little man sitting around in Mona Williams' villa on Capri. That kind of thing. All of this is summed up here, I think, with Eleanor Freed, what she says about Truman, because she's so curious. Why are you doing all this? She says about Truman, he would be gone for the month of August on the Agnelli's yacht, and then he'd come back and he'd say, I'll never do that again. They're so boring. He used to tell that story about sitting on the yacht and someone said, Oh, those melons are so good. Where do they come from? This girl studying the millionaires, the melons among them, said, Pittsburgh. He always came back with a batch of new stories, but he'd say, Oh, God, I ate so much I was so bored. And I'd always say, Truman, you don't have to go, you know. But every year he went, so the answer, of course, was, that he loved Mrs. Paley and Amanda and Drew Hines. A big part of him would have loved to just be swooping around the Hamptons, but he thought he might miss something, I guess. One good story. Truman does spend a lot of time on the Agnelli's yacht, and <sighs> truly for Morella Agnelli, it is Truman's warmth and charm that makes Morella feel very safe to share some of her most personal thoughts and feelings with Truman. At the time, Morella believed that she and Truman shared a unique closeness and bond. Later, Morella would remember that time with Truman and describe him as, quote, waiting like a falcon, unquote. Morella really does begin to see Truman's true colors before Lacote Basque was published. Truman is giving a lunch at the Colony on Madison Avenue on a particular day with many, many society ladies. Going to be taking this particular excerpt from George Plimpton's Truman Capote again. This is Morella Agnelli talking about this particular luncheon and Truman. I got so intimate with Truman because he had a very special quality. He would observe people and see their soft spots. He became the father confessor. I found myself telling him things I never dreamed of telling him. Absolutely. He was waiting like a falcon. He created a very deep sort of intimacy. Very deep, very tender intimacy. Little did I know. The first time I was a little bit disappointed with Truman because I thought we had this very special relationship was at a luncheon he gave at the colony. Beginning of the 60s, maybe middle, he invited a lot of his friends. CZ Guest was there. Babe Paley was there. He invited us all. We found ourselves suddenly with a big bunch of friends who all had more or less the same relationship with him. He called us swans. In a way, I was a little disillusioned. Too many swans. Some of the swans I didn't like so much at all. 
For some, I had an enormous admiration. So on one side, I was flattered. But on the other, there were too many. My relationship with him was enormously personal, unique, and special. The intimacy, the laughs, the giggles. I thought it was a special relationship between Truman and me. I didn't think he was giggling and laughing with Babe or Gloria or Slim. I said, well, I thought I was the only swan. He said, oh, well, darling. I must tell you frankly that he did not adore us for ourselves, though he made us believe he did. We always think that when the intimacy comes, it is because of ourselves. But with Truman, it was the situation in which we lived that interested him. This is why I didn't like that lunch. We only had one common denominator, the kind of life we lived. He was the only man at that lunch. There were photographs taken before and after. Quite a revealing story there. Let's go ahead and get back to Morella and Gianni. As it is throughout their entire marriage, Morella really does have to deal with Gianni's blatant philandering. It's super blatant, super out in the open. Gianni's often seen and photographed with actresses like Anita Ekberg and Sylvia Monti, but his affairs are open secrets. Over the years, Morella expresses her concerns about Gianni and his other women to many, many people, including advice columnist Ann Landers. Not as Ann Landers, but Ann Landers is a gnome de plume, her personal friend. However, Ann Landers cattily comments as soon as Morella walks away, that's how Bulgari stays in business. Yikes. During Morella's pregnancy with their daughter, it was well known that Gianni was having an affair with Princess Lodomia Hercolani, causing one of Morella's close friends to speculate, I think that was the most difficult moment in their marriage. While it is, or certainly was then, more acceptable in the Italian culture for husbands to have many affairs than it was in the American culture, Gianni was still considered to be a relentless womanizer. Though Morella did try to curb her husband's affairs, for the most part, Morella was exceptional at turning a blind eye to her husband's antics. Friends remember Morella being very intimidated in front of her husband. So while the marriage never ended due to his many affairs, it seems obvious that his affairs do take their toll on Morella's confidence, on her happiness. One close friend said that Morella was charming and relaxed when Gianni was not around. But when he was around, Morella became nervous and edgy. But as most women of her time in class, Morella put her husband's happiness far above her own and above that of her children. One of her friends told Vanity Fair, Morella was more a wife to Gianni than anything else. Her greatest concern was her husband. In the subsequent decades, Morella 
began to focus more on decorating her homes, on collecting art, also on gardening. The couple shared intense interest in the art world that bonded Morella and Gianni. In the 1980s, the couple especially started spending more of their time in New York City, finding it to be more cultivated than anywhere in Europe. The two believed that New Yorkers had made a significant cultural choice to value the importance of art in filmmaking and literature. Morella Agnelli considers the 1990s to be their happiest decade as a couple. As many couples do, Gianni and Morella grow closer together as they age. Gianni's intense need for adrenaline and adventure and other women had waned a bit, and now the two begin to delve into this passion for designing and developing elaborate gardens together. With over a dozen homes, they had plenty of opportunities to indulge this particular passion. One of their favorite partners in these endeavors was a famous garden designer and landscape architect, Russell Page. Russell Page had designed gardens for the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, King Leopold III of Belgium, Oscar de la Renta, and the United States Arbitorium in Washington, D.C. Those are only a few of Russell Page's famous projects. Gianni and Morella, again, two children. Their daughter, Margarita, had eight children of her own, and those grandchildren gave both Gianni and Morella great joy in their later years. Their grandsons, John and Lapo Elkin, would eventually succeed their grandfather with the Fiat Company. One particular sorrow for the couple was their troubled relationship with their grown son, Eduardo. Eduardo had rejected his parents' lifestyle in addition to criticizing their materialism. After leaving college, Eduardo traveled to India and Iran to study mysticism, Buddhism, and other world religions. Eduardo eventually converted to Islam and changed his name to Hisha Aziz. He meets with the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran and converts to Shia Islam. It is due to the very wide, enormous differences in their personal beliefs that Gianni Agnelli ensures that his son would never inherit the fiat empire. Sadly, in November 2000, Eduardo's body was found under a bridge in Turin, Italy. This particular bridge is known as the Bridge of Suicides, Eduardo was 46 years old. Although the investigation of Eduardo's death concluded that he died from suicide, there was a book published in 2009 speculating that it was a suspicious death. Some of the author's points were that there were no bodyguards with Eduardo, which was atypical, as well as the lack of a proper autopsy. This lack of a proper autopsy and hurried burial, though, can also be explained by his conversion to Islam. Gianni Agnelli died of prostate cancer in January 2003. 
After Gianni's death, Morella continued to take pleasure from all those grandkids and now great-grandkids and her gardening projects. In late 2003, Morella surprised her family by announcing that she was interested in restoring the Ain Kasimu in Marrakesh, Morocco. The project turned out to be a little bit more than she expected, but Morella enjoyed every minute of touring the local garden and learning about African plants. In 2014, Morella published a autobiographical coffee table book focusing mostly on her homes and gardens. This book was called The Last Swan. Morella Agnelli's long, adventurous, and glamorous life came to an end on February 23, 2019. Morella passed away at the age of 91 years old at her family home in Turin, Italy. What a story, what a life, Morella Agnelli. This is not the last time we're going to hear about her and our journey, but I feel like we made a pretty good beginning into her life and her connections into our continuing journey. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody, for spending your time with me today. I am so wonderfully grateful to you. We will be coming back with the last swan in our High Society 6 next week on the main feed. I do hope you join us Monday, your next done day, for that episode. And remember, in the meantime, Patreon is going to give you a few goodies this week. The William Vincent Astor investigation is going to drop a little later this week. And there is a done drop this week as well, all about that time that Truman Capote met the infamous Peggy Lee. Patreon.com slash done and done will get you to that page. And don't forget, there are a few free episodes available by going to tiny.url slash free done, F-R-E-E-D-U-N-N-E. Get it? Free done. Hmm? If you want to check out what Patreon is like, be sure to check those out. Sooner than later, I'll be switching out those episodes in the next coming weeks. Listen now before those go back in the vault. Again, tremendous thanks to all of you. I am wishing you the very, very best of weeks. And until we meet again, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Done and Done Podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.